Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Warframe of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka so happy to be doing this with my best friend again. And I am the Black Metal Guy, aka screaming for vengeance covered by creator. <laughs> That's pretty promising. Well, speaking of promising, uh, how about that episode 81.5, Death Metal Guy? I'm not sure what uh, you're Hyper Shaman told me everything. To be fair, I had been trying to raise you on the orb for several days. I didn't know where you were. I, I was, was forestalled to... by necromancers. I yeah, he did. He they've, did say they've that. been dealt with. Well, I'm I'm glad to have you back, and I think that we, what we need to concentrate on is the important thing: is that you're. I think what we need to concentrate on is a uh, a campaign promise. I included don't. in the last episode. Well, well, well where, where uh, we? I want you all to hold me to this. If the next episode of Terminus is austere esoteric black metal about a mystic dream of ages once past, but perhaps returning in the future, I'll get my dick caught in a roll-up car window. And you know what? A lot of feelings at the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, you know what, death metal guy? Oh, why? This episode is about austere esoteric black metal about a mystic dream of ages once past, but perhaps returning in the future. Oh, oh no! Oh, g- yes. oh God! Not the, not the, oh, not the ninety-seven Sentra! Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> Twelve-hour break for the death metal guy to go to the emergency room. How you feeling, bud? There's still blood when I pee. And let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> so oh, glad, glad you're okay, bud. All right, let's get into it. This is uh. So we are leading off today. This sort of uh austere glowering black metal special with Stelli by Perquinos, an independent release from Iceland that will be forthcoming on tape from uh, England's Rat King records. Uh, this is the same guy who brought us Nidstong a while back. You remember that? Oh yeah, that was the uh, the Icelandic uh, sort of Iljarn worship stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And he's 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 got this other project, uh or something, that's like his <laughs> kind of uh you know, Senor Valon meets LLN kind of thing. Um Okay. So so this is his hate forest thing. Looking at the cover, yeah, you can definitely tell the whole vibe. Yeah, yeah, he's he's gone so this one is sort of uh he's He's not a Slav, so this is dealing with the, the elements of hate forest that deal most directly with uh, ancient Indo-European origins. Certainly the new record has that, and also some of the oldest stuff, like Scythia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, it's, um, yeah, Stelli being the great sort of stones raised over burial mounds. I think at one point you can hear him say, Stelli raised over tombs. Um, <laughs> uh sort of like a proto-runestone. Um, 
And so, yeah, so this guy is this complex of prod. It's classic sort of dude from the punk scene doing black metal stuff, right? You have a set of worship projects and you're like, you know, each one of them is dedicated to trying to like nail the manner of a specific set of songwriters. Um, and he did a damn good job on Nidstong. You know, like a good sense of what makes Iljarn heavy and how it lines up with stuff like Dark Throne. Yeah, it did, um, it did seem a lot more legitimate and authentic than, like, for instance, a lot of the Americans that have tried to do the same thing. Yeah, so you'll find the same attention to detail here. Um, and, uh, you know, you can hear him sort of experimenting in all these different styles and sort of mastering each one as he goes. So this is his, uh, this is this is sort of a hate forest centered project. Let's start with the title track Stella just from the beginning. Uh, and you will immediately hear why this guy, um, it's a style that's quite difficult to imitate, right? And very few people do. You can hear exactly how he nails it. like hate forest right yeah it does but with certain essential differences i think i mean in that i'm really just talking about the second riff um Mm -hmm. so at this point like our contrasting feelings on hate forest are pretty known like at this point there's something that i really respect but i'm not that into and i've always felt like one of the kind of limiting factors i say limiting it's an intentional part of the construction is just how deliberately primitive a lot of the riffing is. Mm-hmm. But I think this guy proves with the second riff there that you can use some of those like inherent hate forest ideas 
put them in a, a more complex kind of rapping riff and mm-hmm. y- you get something with the same basic intent but something that's just a lot more interesting to my ear and also it kind of reminds me of stuff like uh maybe astrophase or blood of kingu there you know some of the some of the slightly off-center uh slavic stuff from the 2000s yeah okay so you're picking up on something really good um uh first in that big riff there actually are riffs like that on Hay Forest Records that, you know, but like they're not in, uh, you know, it's in that one. Well, the most, I think you should go back to, to the most ancient ones, because when I played that for you the other day, you were like, yeah, oh, yeah, shit, no, this track rules. Like yeah. Right. And so there are there are riffs like that. I don't know if they have quite such rapid sort of uh trilling there but yeah there are sinu- big sinuous riffs where you can hear the slavic folk thing and also the bolt thrower thing yeah uh well there's also well hate forces also has that deliberately like flattened cloudy production so it's entirely possible that's happening on stuff that i've heard i just wasn't able to pick it out i, I was actually gonna try call attention to that so um so yeah another place where you would get riffs that have that more sort of um uh sinuous feeling would be on the new newest Hate Forest record from last year. You got riffs kind of like that. Yeah, there was, uh, there was some of that, yeah. And that's in part because the production is, is clearer on the new one, right? Uh, one thing that sets this apart is obviously the production is... It's, it's much more clearly produced um, yeah. than the classic Hate Forest stuff, which is... Um, it can be a limitation in some ways, which I'll get into, but like... Uh, as, as an admirer of that kind of style, as a listener, it's great to hear how these riffs sound stripped away from some of the fuzz. And it also gives you insight into just how much, yeah, that kind of detail. He's listened really carefully to the detail under the fuzz in the old ones, right? Yeah. And sort of reconstructed how that works. And for, you have to listen to it a lot to start making out those details. Uh, even on... A good example of that here is on the first riff, um, when he's just doing the things that sound kind of like holding a chord. Um, there are there are shifts in the bass tones, which are part of what make Hate Forest riffs so powerful, right? And there are uh, and on the there it's an A B A B riff, and on the B you might think he's actually just holding some dissonant intervals towards the top of his chord. He's actually doing a version of the pulsing da 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 thing yeah. before he drops into the big riff. Um, and so there's like this little kind of flourish within the chord that is exactly the kind of like active, very active uh, driving guitar playing you get from Sanko that is one of the sort of things in the power and mystery in Hate Forest is that so much of that is happening and all you can do is register it kind of as an impulse. It's hard to make out the details. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, and also just the way he writes that second riff. It's just no perfect, right? The, the obvious way of writing that riff would be da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da which would be fine, but, you know, he goes, he makes it, he drops, he has the riff drop, the big part of the riff drop down. Makes it a little more savage. Anyway, 
Um, let's talk now. So you mentioned links to stuff like Astrophys and and, uh, blood, and blood of Kingu. Kingu. Yeah. I was actually just listening to a lot of Astrophys yesterday, and they do have some really good sort of trillin' folky riffs that are a bit like that. Um, but he especially said, I think Astrophys was... can't remember if you mentioned Astrophys. I talked with him about it on Instagram. But um, if he, he mentioned Astrophys, but certainly he was listening to a lot of Blood of Kingu, mm. Andrew... And BBH stuff, especially Volknut, which is this kind of post-BBH thing, right? Which we did yeah, a bonus we, episode. Yeah, on. I was about to say, which we covered on a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, so he, although it started as a worship project, it fleshed out pretty quickly, and you get a little more range in the guitar playing. I think you'll really like this track, where you get a kind of um, Volknut-style just maxed out epic bbh type riff with some of the hate forest isms in it so this is god of rage So when we were listening, you said one of those really stood out. Was it one, two, or three? We it got was the, three there. It was the third one. Well, it's it, you got kind of a three A and a three B, and it was the mm-hmm. uh, the three A that got me. Really like the first two, but the three A one is something that's wholly outside of all the stated influences that we've been talking about. There's something unique going on there. There's you, you can you can tell that it's an extension of Slavic ideas, but those little like chiming upstroked arpeggios that that little ding 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 thrown across this like very gray very morose kind of chord structure that's really interesting that's super cool and then i really like you know i thought after we heard the 3a that it was going to be 
he was just going to bounce back into the main riff again. But no, he goes into the 3B variation, adds more vocals, turns it into a real full verse, and then we kick back to the origin. It's just really smart songwriting. Like, this is pretty straightforward stuff, but there's an elegance to it, and I really yeah. appreciate the subtleties like, here. I liked the... I thought the he did the... We got at least one of those more gnarly hate forest riffs yeah, there, the yeah. one in the middle, right? The, the riff two, right? Mm-hmm. You did a really good job on that. And then, yeah, it's like the main riff kind of works as the hook, right? When it drops back in, it's like, dum, duh, 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 duh. you know, that's the memorable one. But I, yeah, that riff three is really good. Thanks for calling my attention to that. Um, it's, I, you know, again, about the guitar play and stuff, it actually is... Just, you know, I've, I listen to this stuff obsessively. So, like, in Drudk or in the latest, in the Windswept Records or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, s- some of the latest Hate Forest stuff, you, you, you get Sanko doing kind of little, you know, playing little melodies with the tops of the chords like that. Um, yeah. And feathering things, feathering upper strings, and, like, that's kind of, that, that's not a new technique, but I think what you're getting at is that it doesn't. It you're you're right that just the feel of that riff is slightly different, and I would say it feels a little more like Norwegian black metal or Swedish. Yeah, I'd agree. Like it feels so. Th- this guy really likes Gorgoroth. We've bonded over that. Um, he but likes Gorgoroth as much as you or me. Um, and that's, it's kind of like a Gorgoroth riff, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like some of that weird chiming stuff you get off, like, uh, Maniskig and Slave off of, uh, Pentagram. Yeah, yeah, and it might be, and some of the way of these kind of, that particular, it can have the kind of close interval dissonant minor thing that you get, you do get Hate Forest as a version of that, but this version sounds a little bit more like the kind of inverted cathedral vibe from Under the Sign of Hell or whatever. Or, or those earlier Gorgoroth things. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so there's some of that. And, you know, it might be good. So here's then the next thing. It's like, obviously, this is a, um, a more than accomplished uh, debut in this sort of vocabulary. And the question is, like, what's, what are the sort of things that are, what are the limitations and what are the things that are really distinctive about this thing that should get brought out? So maybe we could agree that those kinds of that, like things like that riff should get done more of that. I I think that maybe the thing we're seizing on is, you know, the finding this midpoint between Slavic and old Norwegian second wave is a territory that's sort of been accidentally explored by stuff like mm-hmm. Korgoroth sort of before Slavic black metal was even established. They're kind of forming a midpoint between those ideas. But mm-hmm. w- what's it like when you go back and explore that that liminal space consciously? Yeah, Ulver does it a little bit, but they're not really... The ideas they're getting from the Norse stuff is mostly just like, you know, Swedish blasting war. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. I think it's also a good way of just how do you do this project in a way that's true to you, right? This guy is, um, I think he's, he's German and he lives in Iceland, right? So how can you make it a little more Germanic feeling or too Nordic feeling, right? You could do that by making it sound more like Norwegian black metal, right? Um, the uh, other stuff, um, yeah, so 
other stuff maybe yeah develop influence from all those other slavic bands um you know uh it, it's there's a question of like whether yeah two questions about sort of influences or sound quality so one thing I, t I told him when we were talking was that like i hoped that at some point he would now that he's like used you you I, I feel like the best way to do these kinds of highly focused projects is to use them to build technology for writing songs yeah i, I, I right? get what you mean yeah it's like you you do them you put them out as a band great people tell you it's cool it, it has an intrinsic interest for aficionados of the style right and it encourages you to do this and then like okay when are you gonna either start your own thing that integrates all three of these things the french the slavic the iljarn or is the he this is the most developed of them and sort of the most has the most developed melodies it and textures it's got a lot of influences in it maybe this is the baby is do you think this is like a project do you think you've got a foundation here that someone could build out from into like a personal thing i mean i think you do i mean well you know it's it's kind of up in the air you can you can theoretically do that with anything you know if you take enough time and you work on it enough but mm -hmm. what immediately strikes me you know, I, I haven't heard his third project, but I've heard this and the Nietzstong, and this is obviously grabs me more than the Nietzstong does. I sure, think sure. It's, I think it's really just a matter of, you know, I've done this plenty of times myself. You know, you start a project, it starts as a worship project because you can't get something out of your head, and then naturally you can't do it exactly the same way. Um, mm -hmm. But what the difference between, you know, just kind of a non-starter project where you put out a couple demos versus something that endures is seizing on those differences and yeah. mm -hmm. not trying to not saying that that's a failure because you didn't replicate the original well mm -hmm. enough, but mm -hmm. to seize on those differences because that's where the heart of the sound is. Yeah, well said. So seize, draw out the original core of it. And I think also... Uh, Another th question would be about sound quality. So this is this is like a sort of open thing. So the um right like the 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 other best band that has really attempted to get inside the hate forest style is Death Fortress. Um, and one thing Paraquinos has in common with Death Forest is they both significantly cleaned up the sound. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of what makes hate forest unique is the sheer sonic extremity of it and the interest in sound quality um on certainly on the latest one sanko has made it clear that he never saw hate forest as being just about being burly and fuzzy and sort of uh inscrutable right but on the new one he's more interested in sort of like he's still really interested in sound quality and kind of like jangly kind of like jangly string instrument like tones and in a sort of meshing of different kind of strings in, in his playing uh and it really reveals him as a player uh and the songs are still structured in weird difficult ways often i think this needs to be less accessible hmm. you know what i mean like it's it's very listenable right now, and it's they're closer to normal black metal songs. I feel like it would get that some more of that extra spark. It doesn't have to be over the top in the same way Hate Forest is over the top. Maybe it's best if it isn't. But there's got to be something here that makes it really extreme. 
right? He does a great job with the vocals, but they're not like in your face attacking like they are in Hate Forest. Um, and the performance on the guitar is great, but again, the guitar sound is just, um, it's a vehicle for the melodies. The, the sound doesn't have its own identity yet in the, in the, in the, the tone. Uh, the place where there's something distinctive and extreme happening here is like, is that sub-bass? There's something very strange going on in the bass frequencies, and I'm not sure what it is. So on my headphones, I didn't pick that up at all on my headphones or speakers, but like, or at least on my buds. But now I'm listening on my big headphones when we do the show. And, you know, in that first, it was especially clear in God of Rage, in that first sample, you have the first riff that's the sort of like droning chords. And you have the regular Hate Forest drone, which is just coming from the low, you know, the lowest string on the guitar or whatever, right? And then there's this basic, it's almost like a sub-bass drop, like you'd get in a, a slam song or something. There's like, there's just this big womb and this whole other register of the sound comes in when the double bass kicks in and that second riff comes out. And he uses that also on, on uh, yeah, sorry, not God of Rage, I was saying Stelli, the, the previous track. But, and he uses that somewhat here too, but like, what the fuck is that massive bass drum sound and can you do more of it? Hey all this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. Alright, and we are back with a new one from Norway. This is Soul Begraved by Sindexioi, an independent release on Bandcamp, although probably not for long. Um, I'm sure someone wants to release this. Uh... So yes, you might, you, you've immediately heard that the title, although the title of the record right, is uh, something like Buried Sun in Norwegian, uh, the name of the band is in Ancient Greek. Uh, that is because the band is named after the Brotherhood of Mithras, um, a sort of a cult that was popular, especially in the Roman military, in um, in the uh, Roman Empire, so the latter days of Rome, especially from around a hundred on, during the period of the slow, long, very long decline of the Roman Empire, this sort of cult arose in the military. Um, you ever, you, I assume you've, if you've been around the extreme metal scene and just weird shit long enough, you've probably heard of Mithras before, right, death metal guy? Uh, I've heard the name a bunch of times. I've listened to the band Mithras a fair amount, but uh, I'm not too familiar Oh, yeah, with yeah. Mithras is that sort of, like, techie, super melodic death metal. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty weird, but actually cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember being favorable to that. I think I... <coughs> I think I even enjoyed On Strange Loops. Um, the, uh... But they were more death metal before that. Anyway, so what Mithras is this weird... Um, Mithras is one of those figures who's at kind of a juncture of traditions. Um, he's kind of... You could almost see him, like, linking uh, Indo-European religion to the birth of Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, in you know the early... Uh, in the early Roman church and Byzantine church. Um because it's this kind of, uh, it's loosely derived from the figure of Mitra, Mitra in um, 
or Mithra or Mitra in uh, Persian, right? Who is 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 a god, a, a sort of a sun god of sort of law, sort of law preserving sovereignty, sort of like the god of the stable, healthy norm, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the good king, right? And he's linked to the sun, but somehow that gets transformed into this figure in uh for the romans who becomes this sort of god of soldiers but he's still a sun god but it's like the militant sun and uh he's and all the the rites are sort of uh bloody rites of sacrifice centered around a myth where the sun god right who in a way is a male fertility god right always if you're the sun god or you're linked to that kills a bull which is another thing that is often linked to male fertility, right? But it's a more telluric kind of, you know, just raw animal virility thing, right? Um, and so you get this, uh, you, you get this sort of um, radiant solar male deity who's, uh, you know, linked to a myth of, you know, uh, death and rebirth, right? You know, the slaughter of the bull and rebirth of the god or whatever, right? You know, the sun sets, the sun rises. It's like Deezed Balder, right? Um, <laughs> it's, and so, so he's kind of, and, you know, because it's a cult, right? That means they're really focused on the worship of one god, right? Not that they wouldn't believe in the other Roman gods, but there's this, like, movement sort of towards monotheism, and although the early Christian Christian church repressed had to repress Mithraism because it was a direct competitor, you can see it as very influenced by it. Um, so it's this kind of um, historically pregnant uh, kind of fi- thing that's um, interesting to people who take a very long view of tradition and how things mutate over time. So it's kind of fitting that there is a Mithras-themed project by a Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this this gets at this this record, although you, it's about a sun god. This is a pretty uh, murky record, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's... Um, the whole vibe of this is... You know, we talk a lot on the show, and I'm sure we're going to get into this regarding both of these records. A lot of black metal... If, if you want to call Syndexioi black metal, um, is, yeah. uh, is about, you know, recreating or sort of embodying, you know, these long forgotten traditions and mythos, but sort of in real time, like right now, mm-hmm. you know, reincarnating it. Mm-hmm. Here, like you said, it's a, it's a murky sounding tribute to a sun god. So this record, I feel, is about trying to sort of resurrect this idea or understanding Mm -hmm. the sort of temporal distance between then and now, which makes it kind of unusual for a black metal record, which is, you know, the the style is supposed to be immediate. It's supposed to be lively. Here it is kind of archaeological in a way. Yeah, archaeological. I like that. Um, Yes, he's making a... Yeah, whereas the normal thing is to refuse the premise that these, you know, ancient heroic virtues and that the you know uh religious ideas associated with them are you know obsolete right this is this is dealing with that problem of like okay well how do you how how do you 
allow these things to return across time. Um, it's uh, so it's kind of like somber and reflective, uh, and it really taps into the uh, the Mithras myth in a cool way, as in you're dealing with this sort of ancient, very mysterious cult that sort of disappeared um, almost as fast as it arose. And the cult has to do with this sort of uh, basically the night side side of sun worship, right? You know, the sort of the dark side of that and with the resurrection of the sun. So the question is, how do you resurrect the cult of the dying and dying and living again? How, how do you how do you resurrect this cult that is itself about the cult of resurrection? Does yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> I, there was I was getting uh there 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 was I was getting um tangled in in in, in trying to in uh in the layers there because it's it's <laughs> there's a really it's the fit is so close and so apt that once you start putting it into words you go into tautology, but it's about you know yeah resurrecting this cult of rebirth. Um, and he put it really well in his own notes on this. Um, Nostalgic meditations on a brotherhood long lost, its features eroded almost beyond recognition. A handshake like cold marble, the faintest reverberations of an ancient whisper. And you see that in the art, right? There's, there's a lot of like bull's blood red and it's all shadowed, right? Um, sort of modeled and shadowed um, and obscured. So this is, yeah, it's, it's already conceptually sophisticated. And, you know, uh, I love that idea of the handshake and marble. Like you're striving after this direct contact with, you know, like membership in a brotherhood beyond time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, but, um, but yeah, so luckily, uh, in addition to the really cool concept, the music certainly conveys this and is pretty damn cool. Um, so we, we have different ways of getting at this, but probably converge around the same thing. What did you make of it? Um, I like this. It is difficult to describe. Um, the thing that I'm going to keep coming back to that it approximates that most people are going to know is summoning. Um, it's like summoning. It's, it's heavily based around these kind of martial drum loops, these um, uh, guitars that aren't necessarily centered, although they are more here in summoning than in summoning, and I'll talk about that more. Um, lots of kind of important synths and electronic effects that are guiding melodic voices that aren't just there as you know kind of flat octave Mm -hmm. harmony stuff um but where summoning is you know all about this uh this incredibly vast space you know exploring middle earth and everything syndaxioi is what happens when we compress this down into this weird little rough hewn rocky ritual chamber underground and uh for mm-hmm. for music like this, um, for for music that's constructed in this way, stuff like that, these little differences in atmosphere and you know the kind of, the whole gesture of it and timbral differences, stuff like that, mean a lot more than they might in a, a more conventional metal record that isn't quite as focused around the same things. Yeah. So uh, the thing we're so. 
I don't know summoning well at all, right? Um, and, you know, I've, I've listened to some of the big hits, and I'm like, yes, these are great. Uh, but it's, it's not really my thing. Um, we have a, a mutual friend who says he's always said summoning is kind of a Marshall Industrial band, right? Yeah. It's not really trying to be black metal. And I would say this record seems like a very successful attempt to merge, like, black metal guitar technique and certain kinds of black metal aesthetic values, like something being driving and hypnotic or, you know, and having some, having some, uh, some gut level power and push to it to merge that with kind of song structures and ways of constructing a song that are a lot more like Marshall industrial. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, if I say, okay, it's like Black Metal and Martial Industrial, or you say it's like Summoning, kind of getting at the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, so this kind of, um, you know, this sort of, uh, this, this sort of sophisticated long view of tradition, right, um, is, was more common in the Martial Industrial and Neo-Folk scene before it sort of started percolating into Black Metal over the last maybe 10 years um and uh you know like 20 years ago you wouldn't the i guess the only the first black metal band i don't know if they ever wrote anything about mithras but sort of directly tapping into that kind of solar energy is spite extreme wing yeah right um and uh you know here uh th this band um yeah, so by this point, those concepts have kind of percolated in. Um, but I feel like if in the 90s or early 2000s, if you were listening to sort of weird underground music about Mithras, it would have been Marshall Industrial. And I feel like there's a single song that's kind of hiding out in the background of this whole record, which is uh, Lord of Ages by Blood Axis. And this is a sort of, uh, it's, he, he does a lot of settings of like poems and things by other people. So this is his setting of a Rudyard Kipling poem from the perspective of ancient Roman soldiers, cultists of Mithras. It's a, it, it's a prayer. And so um, we're going to listen to the, the main part of Lord of Ages.
man, a lot of that's good, but a lot of that just sounds like fucking carousel music, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's I like I like the main melody. That's cool. That's just Age of Empires music. That's tight. But when he does when he does like dude, the chorus part, dude, 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 that's not acceptable. I'm sorry, dog. <laughs> well, I'm I'm on the level of the uh, the level of the neo folk iceberg where that just makes sense to <laughs> where me. That's that's just cool and tough. That just makes <laughs> exactly yeah. It's um it's that's like a um you know he's he's pretty interested in like you know sort of like actual folk music although ways it comes through in his music are pretty weird some of it some of his music just doesn't sound like music in a very bizarre way but like some of it is actually steeped in like trad folk stuff and so i think he's trying to do the thing that you might do in like a reel or whatever where there's a key change and you know like it's not just like endlessly looping it's it's kind of like things you'd hear in an irish jig yeah, there's but, a, um, and there's also like to be fair, a lot of people, a lot of people forget that originary folk music tends to be a lot fucking dorkier than you might imagine. Like there are just goofy ass parts that don't scan nowadays as they did. So it's probably very authentic. It's just yeah, sense. a lot of a lot of what happens in extreme music is sort of getting at these certain folk songs or certain parts of folk songs and drawing out and intensifying that. You know, yeah, you're not gonna, um, I exactly, you're not, they're like, you know, there, there isn't a, you're not gonna find, like, if, if you attended a concert of Polish folk music, it's not gonna sound like Graveland. Yeah, right. I, I think that is a point of confusion a, for a lot of people, though, you know. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, yeah, like maybe, and, and when you hear him play folk music in Lord of, in, in Lord Wind, it doesn't sound like folk music, it sounds like Graveland. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, we've talked about on the show people's understanding of so many things, and folk music in particular has been flattened out by movie soundtracks and video games and shit, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, like, Darkin is one of the best people at translating folk mu actual folk music into metal guitar, but, like, he's translated it. Yeah. You know, he's he's made it into viable metal riffs. Um, so, so, yeah, like, so that's part of the thing. It's like, yeah, if you're doing this folk kind of stuff... It doesn't really, it almost wouldn't really land in the same way if it were just that, the if it were just the Stern Dorian scale thing looping. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's almost got to do the chord change thing there just to have a little bit of tension and drop back into the main thing. Yeah, there, something has to occur. Yeah. yeah. You should hear the three minute build up over a completely atonal guitar riff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I don't think. I think a lot of people don't get that part. Um, uh, well, we uh, as much as I would like to talk about the politics of neo folk and blood axis and stuff, let's let's talk about Syndaxioi. Um, let's let's listen to some of them for contrast. Um, Fair enough. So uh, I got a sample. Um, so this is off the the self titled track Syndaxioi. So this is going to be kind of getting at some of the stuff we've already talked about in the relation, at least from my perspective, of uh, summoning to this music, but summoning played in a cave, like 20 feet underground. Um, 
And let's listen to this, and then I want to talk about, like, the way summoning relates to stuff like Blood Axes, because I think you're totally right about, yeah, summoning could be a martial industrial band. And I'm almost certain that the summoning guys listen to that stuff, and probably a lot of those guys are listening to summoning. I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. feedback going on between those guys. Mm -hmm. So let's listen to Syndexioi. Interesting fact, Michael Moynihan from Blood Axes is the dude who wrote Lords of Chaos. Oh, goddammit, he is, and I totally forgot that. Yeah, I know anyway. that Moynihan's like a huge black metal guy, but for some reason I forgot. It's been so long since I read the book. Um, okay, so Syndexioi. Yeah, uh, the anyone who's kind of like familiar with summoning, you're going to see the immediate comparison there. Just in the specific way this guy or guys, I guess this could be a full band. Um, the way the drum loops are arranged, the very mm-hmm. tom heavy stuff, as well as the kind of um, the uh, the upbeat play on the symbol. You know, the 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 symbol not being uh, a punctuation point like on the one of a of a measure, but used as kind of a an upbeat it's almost like a gypsy thing in a way um but then what i really wanted to concentrate on is a lot of people have talked about the idea of summoning and music like it being in some ways closer to electronic music than it is to heavy metal and i i think there's ways to view it in which that's accurate and i would say the same thing for syndexioi um so what i really wanted to get at was yeah, structurally, this is like summoning, but the aggregate effect is completely different. And why is that? Well, it comes down to differences in 
in production, the very claustrophobic style of production, the timbre of everything, you know, this kind of like fuzzy kind of blown out reverb, almost like uh, like 70s psych tones, you know, here and there. Um, <coughs> So these kinds of details, production, timbre, stuff that really has to do with just like the elemental sound of things tends to be something that's overlooked in metal because metal's not really about that. But if you see this as kind of adjacent to electronic music, it makes sense that that is a really major part of what makes this stuff work. Yeah, and they're very, not only are they kind of like, uh, they're very warm tones. Mm-hmm. It's it's very murky and subterranean, but very warm. Yeah, you're, uh, you're close to the lava, you know. Yeah, something like that, exactly. But in a kind of heart heartwarming way too. Uh, a good example of what you were saying, or, or a good example of how it's different from summoning, is just that really uh, really cool kind of chorus moment at the end of the sample, right? Yeah. Where there's the dropout and then he comes in, right? It's not a big choir effect, and it's not this sort of, like, rousing sing-along thing, right, that you get in summoning or even more so in, like, Caladan Brood or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's, um, he has a great, fully worked-out melody delivered in kind of just a sort of uh, solemn kind of bass or baritone, and it is buried in the mix, so, so much so that you might almost miss it the first time. Uh, and he's he's very comfortable having things just be that a more metal record might sh- like shove out front, having them just be buried in the mix for people who are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also harsh vocals on this, but they don't crop up very much, and they're just like a bonus. Um, he does growls, kind of like Eternus, which might be a reference point. Yeah, that's another Norse band that was in, kind of interested in... Uh, you know, Hellenic stuff and classical mm-hmm. stuff. Um, uh, but, and had a very warm, low-end guitar tone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so kind of, he does growls, but again, they're just there for the people who are paying attention. They just add a bit more oomph and aggression. Uh, yeah, I mean, the vocals the vocals here are, honestly, they're, they're so sparse and they're so pushed in the background. They're really just kind of used, they're used like a synth patch or something, you know, <laughs> they just plug in occasionally. Yes, and the yeah, and the thing is that he's nevertheless taken the time to like write cool choruses. But they're yep. just in there, and you mostly hear the chorus as an effect of the guitar and the synth. Um, also interesting there, you know, I could pick up on this more with my with the big headphones, right? The only places he's doing tremolo picking throughout the record are in these kinds of interstitial parts where he introduces darker or more high tension melodies. And in those, he's always drawing our attention away from it to the synth. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the focus... Like, the, there's the, actually some dissonant tremorifing happening there. It's just working purely as a harmonic contrast for what's going on over it. Yeah, the, the riffing... Well, that's that's something I'll, I'll touch on more later mm-hmm. on in the review. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, what else you got? Um... Yeah, so let's go to uh, Clad in Tyrian Purple. Uh, and we'll talk more about, you know, how these songs are structured and all that. Um, and may- maybe where he's getting some of the riffs. I don't know. We'll see what we'll talk about. We're- we'll listen to this one. So, <laughs> Just lo- loosey-goosey, you know? We'll see. Yeah, this is the first really, this is the first uh, full track on the record. 
so the real signature thing that kind of structures a lot of the melodies on this record is the drums. Mm-hmm. And he's got a signature drum beat, right? This kind of staggered thing. Doom, da, doom, da, doom, da, yeah. doom, da. And there are variations on that all over the record. Um, is that like a... Do you get that? Is that also a characteristic beat on summoning? That one specifically, no. I would say the one that I played in my first sample, that was like super characteristically summoning Mm -hmm. with kind of the, the, you know, the war toms and the the off time symbol. Mm -hmm. The rhythmic ideas are kind of similar to some summoning ideas, but they would Mm -hmm. use different voices on the drums. They wouldn't execute it like that, I don't think. Yeah, this is a little more austere. Um, But, um, yeah, so that whole sort of um, adding these heavily syncopated beats in there sort of gives this a very different rhythmic characteristic from black metal and from metal in general. It, um, It adds the step, right? It's not... I mean, some of the relevant... So, I mean, you could have martial industrial stuff that just literally has, like, tom rolls and marching beats, right? Um, and you can have... And that is sort of a reference point here, right? You can have black metal stuff that is some of the closest references within black metal, right? Uh, especially, like, Hades. Um, have a lot of just boom, dang, boom, dang, boom, dang. And if you wanted to do black metal martial industrial, you could just do that. But he's developed his own signature beat, which is always a sign of quality, right? Mm-hmm. And it's got this kind of, it's powerful, but it's got a different kind of power. It's more, um, it's sort of, there's this sort of dip in it on, at the second part of the beat. And it's, it's more like a, it's less like a marching, marching step than a dancing step. Or it's like a, uh, it's like a work cadence. It's like, like, uh, what do you mean? Oh, for uh, like a like a sailing cadence. You know, you've got that that, yeah. that rise of pressure, like as mm-hmm. you're raising a mast, and then as you get to the bottom of the pull on the rope, it kind of falls in. It snaps oh. back down. Quick breath, rise back up. You know, that kind of thing. That's great. Yeah, you can really imagine it as a sea shanty. Yeah, you imagine that, like you know, like in the uh, uh, Lord of Ages, right? Just sort of Roman soldiers swinging their picks in the sun. Yeah, or, um, uh, or but like equally a, like an oar thing, you know. Yeah, but e- well, the nice thing about being a legionary was you didn't have to row. Well, you know, right? <laughs> that's uh, that's that's Viking shit, right? V- Vikings are the, the sort of the DIY, um, you know, the the DIY jack of all trades approach to Vi- uh, Vikings. Vikings would have their own like zine about veganism. Like yeah, they'd have their own. Like <laughs> you row your own oars, right? You know. Um, <laughs> row, row your own longships. Um, uh, you know, unlike degrading Roman slavery, we just make our slaves farm and do shit like that. <laughs> um, uh, but um, but yeah, yeah, we we row our own damn boats to kill people and take their shit <laughs> and enslave not like these, not like and these, them. <laughs> not like these Roman snowflakes. Yeah. yeah, yeah now, yeah, yeah. now, if you pay attention to the Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, geez. Okay, so um, 
But seriously, like, I really like that idea of a working cadence or a dancing step. You imagine, mm. you could see, if you look on the sides of Greek vases or Roman vases, right, you can see a, a lot of people, you know, like, people running around to the side of the vase, but if you look carefully, they're dancing, right? Yeah. There's this kind of high step thing. Um, and, you know, you could easily imagine dudes down in the sort of the cave, the Mithraeum, where these sacrifices might have taken place, right? Sort of just, like with little sort of like tympanums or cymbals and flutes, just doing this sort of like slow step, hop step around, you know, around the, the shrine or whatever. It's it's a, a sort of, um, and there's a, it's a different, it's a light-footed heaviness. Um, so that sort of pulse-based rhythm is, I think, something that sets it apart from... Uh, the more rhythm, rigid rhythmic forms, really kind of in both of its influences, in, in both of its parent genres. Yeah, um, I, can, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, all right, so another one, Bound in Oath. You wrote in the notes that I got the banger on this one. So. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew I didn't need to sample it because I knew you would. Yeah, you always you predict my samples very well. Well, I guess this is Thanks. kind of like the, uh, the biggest moment. This is kind of the climax of the record. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a couple more things that I want to talk about centering on the riffing and the identity of Syndexioi as a heavy metal band and what kind they might be. Oh man, I really did get the banger. Now I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think uh, one of the big things to talk about is because another place that we we scan this record kind of differently um, is that 
you see it as a sort of like um, beyond black metal thing. Um, sort of, you know, the kind of thing we talked about in regards to stuff like Devil Groth, um, you know, these bands that are taking black metal technique and kind of advancing beyond it. Um, and I can see how you could say that, but I think my interpretation is that it's really that Syndexio is almost more of a heavy metal band at heart. More of a heavy metal band in the traditional sense than um, than even Summoning is. Because so many of these songs, and I mean this section especially, are based around these very elemental power chord riffs that honestly I don't think are too far off of Celtic Frost if you really break it down. You know, the, the sheer kind of like workmanlike quality of these things simple but always kind of omnipresent melodies like you've got like an ancestral mel you've got an ancestral memory of these melodies the same way you do listening to celtic frost you know <laughs> and uh and, and the way so many of these songs focus on the the heaviness of those guitars rooting them you know, as all this airy stuff and, you know, reverb-drenched cave ritual shit is dancing around it, there is this primal force of just barbaric heavy metal riffing in it. And I think that's really cool. And that's one of the big things that prevents this from, to me, slipping into, you know, purely atmospheric music, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, th that's why I said beyond black metal, right? Not just, like, you have to successfully keep the things that are cool, or at least some of the things that are cool about it. Um, I, yeah, I guess I would see it in terms of going beyond black metal as going even further away from heavy metal. But, like, I, you know, I, I was trying to think about how we square this. It's like, I mean, in some sense, the best, the classic black metal move is to go to on both sides, move in both yeah. directions at once, away That's from true. what's being done, right? Or, and black metal's idea of history is very much right. You know, you sort of tap into the origin, and at the same time, it's precisely that tapping into the origin that separates you from everything going on now. And, you know, that allow right? It's always, you know, you're tapping into the origin with, like, four dudes with electric guitars, right? Which, mm -hmm. in making this kind of abrasive, searing, abrasive modernist music, right? So the idea that to get beyond black metal, you would go into its origins in sort of the roughest heavy metal, while also moving it towards drony electronic stuff, that maybe, you know, maybe that's just exactly what he's doing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I agree with you that heavy metal isn't, you know, I guess we're, we're noticing different things, right? I'm just trying to I guess the reason I would say it's not really a heavy metal record is because I think a lot of the things, the structural principles in these songs are not, they're not written to deliver riffs. They're not written to mm -hmm. be, they're not written for a particular kind of aggression or for the kind of, they develop, but they do not develop like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, right? That's yeah, the most, most sort of extreme example of developmental song structure in heavy metal, right? Um, it's, um... But you're focusing in on a, a, an aspect of just how the riffs themselves are formed, and I think you're right. That is a heavy metal part. I would say, I would put it almost like, they're not, the thing that's unique about them is that, yeah, they, they, they move a bit like Celtic Frost things. He's taken that kind of lurching, the heavy syncopation he's taken, and he's reframed it within his kind of like light-footed, leaping, head-tossing rhythms. Mm -hmm. Um... 
but a lot of them are just like moving around up and down just the dumb 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 you know just like your most powerful dorian scale dorian scale minor chord, basic chords in a minor scale yeah. um very epic sounding in a way that celtic frost isn't um it's but but I, I I hear what you mean, but I, I guess what I mean maybe he's just revoicing those kinds of riffs in a way that's more modern black metal. I would also say connective tissue would probably be Carpathian Wolves era Graveland. Yeah, that makes sense. Which which has sort of heavy bashing power chords, but a lot of the ideas getting with a lot of more sophisticated melodic ideas and drone stuff getting introduced. Um, I mean, so like. Yeah, I think it would be worse. It would certainly be a lot worse if it didn't have these heavy metal parts. Um, yeah, it, it anchors it in something with, you know, material to it. It's very easy for stuff like this to become just soundtrack music. Yeah, and, and I mean, a problem with a lot of Marshall Industrial is it's kind of just evanescent. It's kind of not really there, right? Mm -hmm. Um which is ironic for the kind of mood it aspires to, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, this keeps the driving and sort of physical aspect of, you know, extreme guitar music um, or, or just heavy metal. Um, so let's say it also gives him a spectrum to work within, right? He's working on one level on these long sort of deliberately samey songs with these kinds of inflection dramatic inflection points in them and building up all these crazy layers of really worked out synth lines and feedback in guitar and stuff um on the other hand he can just write a really solid riff or really good riff with like four chords right mm -hmm. and and do heavy metal stuff so by the the record has this structure where we move towards the last song the title track right sort of buried sun and it's only here that he starts to sound like a Norwegian black metal band.
So, that has one of the most fleshed out, elaborate synth hooks in the entire record, right? Mm -hmm. Just this awesome, like, flourishing melody at the end. You know, I can't even remember the beginning of it. Something like that, right? It's And that's a very dramatic part, and it's memorable. But if you're a retard like me, you're just listening to the two power chord Hordain's Land riff and going,
right, we are back with our final record of the night. As the black metal guy was uh, grabbing some food, he stumbled into me listening to Forest, which is very appropriate for the record we're going to cover. This time we've got the second full length by Vlado, uh, titled Spirit of Triumph, uh, an independent release. Um, So I was listening to Forest to psych myself up uh, for this record, which is probably the most distinct forest worship we've ever had on the show like it's it's very clearly designed to be a uh, blaze birth hall worship record and uh if anyone knows anything about me uh, that's perfectly acceptable in my world um it, it's kind of funny the uh the joke we always have on the show that you um you listen to the most boring black metal that I can't stand, which is funny mm-hmm. because Forest might be my favorite black metal band, full stop, and they're arguably the boringest black metal band of all time. <laughs> but um, we've been talking about <coughs> you've you're you're the one that knows all the weird BBH stuff, but you haven't listened to that much Forest itself, right? Um, I I think I've listened to more than I've thought. I've I've always um. I've never been that into the BBH stuff, um, but uh, so it's like things I've I've heard. I've heard more Forest than Branicall. The only thing I've listened to, uh, yeah, well, we were talking about this before. I think I've listened to a lot of a later Forest album. Yeah, I think um, we were talking about as a song in the Harvest of Grief, right? Yeah, as a song in the Harvest of Grief. Um, I've listened to that a lot, and I think I've listened to. Uh, what's for for dooming the hope uh yeah, yeah I've, I've listened to that one a fair amount too um that one's my favorite um yeah uh and, yeah so and i think otherwise but like in terms of what i've lately been listening to the raven dark record a lot and that is really good yeah that's 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 weird bbh that's deep cut bbh and then you get <laughs> then you get really weird then you get into you know wotan solve wotan solve is extremely weird that's difficult music i i thought the raven dark was going to be more like that but it's actually just very carefully. It has the same impulse. You can tell that the same impulsive method of songwriting has been worked on, and it's very carefully composed. Yeah, uh, you should really check out the uh, the forest self-titled, the first one, which is mm-hmm. I was I was re-listening the other day, and I was like, oh, this is what I wish um, Iljarn was, because mm-hmm. it's it still got that like gorked, retarded quality, but. The, mm-hmm. the jangly riffs are you can hear the outline of what they would later do so there's enough of a melodic hook to for it to all make sense to me i guess hmm. um hmm. so you might like that a lot <clears throat> but anyway uh vlado so do you think that's basically the take here is like based on what you're hearing this is pretty much forest and branicall all the way down right i would say it's deeply deeply informed by that which you can see even in the cover art uh yeah. However, um, I think there's another, it, it, it's, it hits the ear pretty differently from those to me. Um, and part of that, uh, is it's much less, um, hmm, that, so, I mean, a few different things. It's, um, it's less focused on just big riffs. Um, it's kind of understated in terms of the riffs. Um, it has very, 
Uh, you also, everything about Blazeberth Hall is wild, yeah. right? Like, it's just some of the most, the cl- one of the ways of getting the closest to purely instinctive music, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and this doesn't, this is more, controlled would be like, isn't the right word, because that makes it sound like they've taken the wildness and tampered it down, right? And, and that's not what's going on. It's just, um... The songs are more, uh, they're sort they're of clearer. There's they're, more they're, clarity to this. They're more disciplined. Um, there are, uh, yes, there, there's a clear division between songs where, and there is, uh, and the, uh, the musical tones just, Blazebird stuff can be very fuzzy, um, but it's usually kind of abrasive. Yeah. in terms of its sonic quality. And there are always these, like, cranked-up, rattling drums, right? These sort of, like, kind of slowed-down blasts that make mm-hmm. it a bit like Yuljarn, right? Um, this doesn't really have that. There's no, like, there's not much attack to this music. It's it's kind of... as We'll get into this in my first sample, but at, at, at first it sounds strangely gentle in a way that threw me for a loop. On repeat listens, I like it more and more. Um, I think I've got an idea of what maybe one of the other ingredients in this is, but would would you want me to just go straight to a sample, or maybe we should listen to some forest for a reference point for people? Yeah, let's do, let's do some forest as a reference point, and then that'll give us a baseline of the immediate comparison, and then we can talk about where it diverges from there. Right, right, right. Um, so we'll listen to, this is, for those at home... <laughs> I love that phrase. For those of you at home, for those of you in your car right now, um, <laughs> if you've heard Forrest and you're not like a BBH obsessive, this is probably the record you've heard, which is Like a Blaze Above the Ashes, their second record. Kind of the first one where they really established the Forrest sound. So we'll listen to the first couple minutes of the opening track on that record called uh, By the Roar of Hammer's Call. <laughs>
yeah, so it was. we were talking while that was playing, and something that's really interesting about Forrest is that on one hand, it's, you know, it's super kind of clattering and noisy and fuzzy. On the other hand, they do just some of the biggest black metal riffs of all time, and it's, like, it's hook-laden music, but they just play those hooks over and over and over again, you know, into infinity. Um, it, it's like, there's almost like a fun game you should play with like people just getting into black metal. It's like you should show them a forest record and then they go through their training over the course of a year, you know, listening to more and more <laughs> shit. And then you play it for them again at the end of the year and it'll, it'll all make sense. It's like, <laughs> I like li- that. listening to it now as people who've just been listening to this shit for so long, this is like, oh dude, this is like, yeah, this is easy. Well, you know. oh, I was going to say, Lamb from Sanguine Eagle always sort of uh, said, Forrest is entry-level Blizzberthal. That's fair. It's like, yeah. he's sort of like, dis- sort of dismissing it, um, which I-, I don't think it's fair to dismiss it. I mean, I'm sure he liked Forrest, but you got what he, it just wasn't, he was just like, yeah, okay, we all know Forrest, like, let's talk about Raven Dark, well, yeah, or whatever, for- right? Forrest and Branicald are definitely <laughs> the ones that... Honestly, I think that they're almost more accessible because they're like almost less black metal than, you know, Raven Dark or, you know, Wotan Solve and stuff like that. It's like I was talking about this on the Discord, you know, the idea that I feel like Forrest and Branicald are as far as you can go into that kind of hypnotic, repetitive, ambient black mm-hmm. metal direction before you start hitting stuff like Devil Groth, which is just outside the frame of reference completely. Um,. Yeah, but, you've... but but it, it has the huge riffs. And, you know, like with Forrest, yeah, so that gives it, it makes it less, it, I mean, God, to a normal person, Forrest is steeped in mystique, right? Yeah, but if you're yeah. deeply invested in Blaze Birth obscurity and mystique, right, you can see why, okay, Forrest is not, you're going to go to the even stranger stuff. But, like, that kind of, the fact that it's anchored around these, you know, forthright, noble, and really kind of just, like, um, they're pretty. I, I hesitate to say. I hesitate to say well thought out because a lot of them clearly come directly from the gut. But he's played different versions of them thousands of times to get the right one. Yeah, and, and they sort of unfold like that one. You could hear it unfolding over the course of this ascending chord progression. Right, it really develops and talks each new late, each new. Sp- each new little lick within the whole melody sort of builds on the last one. It's, you know, that that kind of... That agglutinative, you know, long melody stuff that we're always talking about on the show. Yeah, yeah. having it not be... uh, Having it, you know... um, You know, Forrest's strength, in a way, right, is its directness, Mm -hmm. right? Even though it also has this hypnotic and intensely atmospheric thing, and even though the production could be a steep barrier to entry... It is, uh, you know, it has some of the um, forthright kind of uh, manly melody that you would get more in the Ukrainian bands that do more aggressive stuff. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and like I was I was saying before, it's like the thing is, it's just pretty, you know, but without the kind of like baggage that imitating bands, you know, all the post black bands that do nothing but rip off BBH but won't admit it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've glommed well, onto the pretty parts of it without understanding that the savagery is, like, what makes it. So there's an entry point for this record. Yeah. So the the Vlada, um, the Spirit of Triumph is, it seems like somebody making something that speaks, 
we've talked about a lot of ways of people trying to do atmospheric black metal right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of different approaches. You know, you can do stuff that you can make it a lot more aggressive or difficult. You can make the atmosphere stranger or weirder. You can just include way more worked out. You can basically play Atmo Black, but with way more worked out and sort of historically grounded guitar work, right? This is something like to produce the thing that Atmo Black people imagine their music sounds like, <laughs> to give exactly that kind of effect of sort of serene, hypnotic, but majestic music that is highly listenable and can be, you know, um, uh, and that doesn't, there won't be anything about it that jumps out at you and disrupts your trance, right? Yeah. And and the, the goal seems to be to do that entirely within the frame of raw, you know, raw Slavonic heathen black metal, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, that's pretty cool. But I was definitely thrown for a loop when I first heard it because uh, the first half of this record, um, these these are two songs that do that. I would say on this record, the songs run together intensely. But when you go back a second time, you start to realize, oh, this is the song with this riff. This is the song with that riff. This is the song with that riff. And they actually all have pretty distinctive moods. It's just hard to tell where one ends and one begins. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the first two tracks, Sun Rises with Blood and Thule, which all together comprise like, you know, 11 minutes. I, you know, those blended together to me at first. But um, throughout the whole of that, I was like, this, you know, this does not make me think of Vikings. Um, <laughs> and I'll, you'll hear why in a second.
mood-wise, uh, you know, when I first heard that, that sounds like, like, pastoral music. Sort of, you know, uh, sitting on the blankets with some, you know, with some some of the boys and some fair maidens, and you know, maybe some <laughs> fawns and nymphs dancing around with, you know, pipes and stuff, and you're, you know, you're you're enjoying some wine and you know, watching the sunset. Uh, it it did not strike me. It seemed incongruous with the kind of record that this advertised itself as visually, right? Which is like. Here is a here is a glacially cold representation of noble Rus Vikings going down the Volga to fuck shit up, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but like, and and so and and because it's really not very riffy, I was right. We're basically just dealing with two alternating chord textures that entire sample. It just all oscillates between two chords. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, what is this? This is sort of like. I assumed it was this kind of the stuff that is too, the newer stuff that's too mellifluous for me, right? I could hear the relationship to the most atmospheric or sweet parts of the BBH stuff, but like, it's like, nah. But as I listen more, I'm like, okay, I, I sort of, the, the music goes places over the course of the record, which we'll get to, mm-hmm. but also, as I listen more, I'm just like, you know, that atmosphere there's done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, one thing that's remarkable about it is the use of overtones. Um, so if you're just focused on the chords or, you know, uh, God's forbid, just the root notes, like a plebeian, right? (laughs) If, if, if you're just focused on that, you're going to miss the real action there, which is in the overtones. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of crazy stuff on this record. Uh, you know, and it's it's one of those cases where it's hard to tell if some of these are like adjustments on high parts of chords, or if they're just kind of ghost harmonies emerging from all the reverb crashing into itself. But yeah, that's that's a big part of this whole. Record. I think pro- perhaps both. You Probably. know, like um, but yeah. So an interesting thing, right, is like one thing that's really cool about the Blazebird bands is because of the wild approach to recording you get all sorts of feedback and drone effects from overtones and stuff. And that was deliberate on their part. I mean, it helps make the sound so shamanic, right? Mm. But they weren't like, the songwriting was directed around those big riffs, right? It's riff delivery, and if the overtone comes out in the course of it, good, you know? Um, Uh... This band seems interested in, like, playing overtones. Like, mm-hmm. I would almost say, in a riff like that, but really throughout the record, I would almost say, like, the lead guitar part is the sine waves. You're just listening yeah. to sine waves. You are listening um, to kind of, like, undulating tone. Like, yeah. almost like a Doppler effect thing yes. in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he, he manipulates it, like, when he digs in. You know, you heard the Isatai guy sort of also playing playing an overtone on a couple really cool riffs mm-hmm. but like here that is it's integrated into the method throughout and like when he switches between those chords there's a little rhythmic change up and you know he picks he recenters his pick and he pulses out the new one and you hear you start to hear how these tones are as you say the, the reverb is so much that they start interfering with each other in this specific way to make new shapes and 
you know, he's using the picking rhythm to change the wobble of them. And it's almost like, you know, uh, this is a very beyond black metal kind of thing. And that, like, it's using the guitar as a textural instrument, making us listen to new things. It's almost like it's a different version and maybe almost a more intensified and deliberate version. You know, the general blaze birth feel, right, is this kind of, like, listening to the elements rage, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Here, you're, like, literally listening to waves. Like, yeah. elemental... Not just wave. you know, maybe in the wind, too, or in... You're listening to, like, elemental waveforms in nature. And even in the places where throughout this record that present a bit more riffy or dramatic stuff, that's going on. It's really sophisticated. On this particular song, one reason I immediately thought pastoral was the that The overtone sounds like a fucking flute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's got that that gentle kind of comforting sway to yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, the natural world and listening to it, uh, let's listen to Seeds of Deeds. Um, so we'll talk mm -hmm. a little bit about structure and the things that I think this guy really gets about Forrest that mm -hmm. most other bands don't. <laughs> So there's there's a lot to talk about there. A, lo a lot happens in those handful of riffs. Mm -hmm. um, so this is basically a three-riff song. Um, it keeps coming back to the A riff, and then basically everything that happens is about how the A riff interacts with the B and C riffs. 
He doesn't have a few different kind of rhythmic configurations, but that's that's the bulk of the material here. <clears throat> um, the A riff is absolutely just a, a forest kind of phrase. And then the other stuff is, you know, revolving around BBH ideas, but probably kind of from the weirder end of that scene. Mm-hmm. And something that I really like about this band, um, and something that's very important to Forrest and Branicall, probably all of BBH, you know, as a term of art, when we talk about music, people talk about things being organic. Um, and they they use that to mean, like, smooth and contiguous. Flowy. Yeah. But they also associate those sounds with, you know, organic in terms of the natural world. You know, mm-hmm. not yeah, yeah, yeah. made. Yeah. And the thing that Forrest got about the natural world, and the thing Devil Groth got, and the thing Vlado gets, is that... Uh, you know, not everything in the natural world is uh, f- flowing and contiguous and, you know, mm-hmm. easy and smooth. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, rock slides happen. Sometimes there's avalanches. Sometimes gravity pulls something enormous down. And the way sometimes the risk... animals die exactly than you would expect. <laughs> yeah. And it's like and. You know, the way these riff, these these monolithic riff blocks crash into each other, there's no effort made to m- provide a smooth transition. They are clearly part of the same thing, but there's no need to, you know, ooh, I'm going to do a nice little fill on guitar and that'll smoothly transport you to the next one. No, sometimes in nature, things hit each other really hard well, there, in in that you know in in the transition to that that breakdown that we heard where there's a drop out of the drums or mm-hmm. a drop out of the blasting you know and we get that sort of uh thing that's a little more like maybe uh you know maybe some of the weirder blazebirth stuff or maybe just like a hate forest riff that right there that's slinky thing yeah with all sorts of interesting harmonic stuff going on behind it and sort mm-hmm. of straining against it in some ways, that is a dramatic harmonic shift from the very smooth, noble Dorian scale thing of the the main melody, right? Yeah. The main melody is like a deliberate... Okay, I'll, I'll get back to the main melody in a sec, but that sort of breakdown, we were... Like I was saying when we were listening to it, it's like... That could have literally been on the Sedexioi record. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, honestly, that riff could have been on that uh, Perquinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. The, yeah, these are very, yeah, this is a very, co- this episode is uh, just as cohesive as the episode we shall not name. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but the, um, sin, so yeah, it was actually like, it reminded me of that specific part on Sedexioi, that the, the title track that you mm-hmm. picked as our first sample, where there's this kind of, just in the play, the where the where the trem comes in exactly in this sort of tense mutable interstitial stuff um you get this more dissonant trem stuff um it's a very similar move and these bands are i think approaching similar kinds of ideas about turning black metal towards electronic and textural music without compromising on the basic black metalness of it or the basic metalness of it or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. yeah no i i agree well it's like well then there's it's always a question of intent i think i think syndexioi probably has more intent behind it this this feels more impulsive the vlado 
You mean like in terms of its genre ambitions or whatever? Yeah, I I, I think this is sort of like the Blazeberth Hall stuff, a very happy accident of, you know, getting to somewhere very weird with sort of standard black metal technique, and Syndexio kind of has bigger ambitions beyond that. Syndexio is deliberately using compositional forms and techniques for writing that are outside of black metal. This is a black metal... This uh, the parts that sound like keyboard on this probably aren't. Yeah. Right? Um, and the songs have much simpler structures. They are, as you just say, these big blocks which either sometimes seamlessly flow into each other, but often just sort of a cascade of a just sort of crash from one to the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But l- let me also talk about that first riff. Like that to me is like the big riff of the record, but it's so understated. Like it works in exactly the way that the By the Roar of Hammer's Call riff works, mm-hmm. right? It's a set of um, short micro-riff phrases that all in themselves might work as sort of just rhythm riffs over the part where someone is screaming in a normal, yeah. more aggressive BM song. But it, it sort of layers them, and there's like, you know, uh, three of them. I think I can remember it now. It's just... And it's it was that was when I heard that that's when I perked up because it's it's so subtle like that is not those are really typical intervals for this style it doesn't have any of the massive movement of root notes that you get in by the roar of hammers call it doesn't like stretch out at the end in that way does there's it's um it it just sort of rises a little bit goes back down and it but it's it it really really works and you can hear the way that each of those phrases has been composed right when we're on the root note the thing is fluctuating it's and it's all based on those little wobbles between neighboring notes right (laughs) when we're on the root note we wobble up right when we're on the when when we go up like that it's still wobbling up because we ascend when it turns back down, the wobbles go down, and then at the end it just drops to the root. But if you're listening to the whole blend of the music with all those overtones over it and those other notes being played by the rhythm guitar, you'll actually hear it as if it's rising. That's like what you hear, but that's not what it does. Yeah, there's, there's, um, I think there's some very strange, like, guitar layer stuff going on mm-hmm. throughout this. Like, uh, yeah. there's, I, it's like, and everything, the guitars are kind of buried in each other. So I think yeah. there might be, like, more than two guitars. I think there might be a third slipping in and out period. Oh, the yeah. fabled third guitar. <laughs> that's, I've noticed that's a classic Terminus thing, is sometimes we'll hypothesize a third guitar, and sometimes we'll be right, and sometimes we'll be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes um, we're we're incredibly wrong, and it never ceases to blow me away when we yeah. are. It's just like, to which I always want to like email those. Well, how the fuck did you play it, dude? Don't tap yeah, this yeah, shit yeah, for yeah. me. Oh, the guy from the guy from Totenvok. Yes, it's just exactly. like no, I just I just play complex melodies with six strings at a time. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. And so the other thing, it's like in that melody, in the way he shaped the melody, because he's using these sort of turns of slavic folk melody that you get all over black metal like this mm-hmm. he's taken them to the most elemental basics in the riff itself he's creating waves just yeah. that little wobble yeah it's, yeah 
Well, uh, so we're going through everything sequentially. We got like an there's like an intro and an outro and basically four tracks in the middle. Okay, so this is where I'll get to the 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 more sort of overall stuff because um, I mean, on Spirit of Triumph is just like it has another sick riff, um, <laughs> and I don't think there's anything particularly special about it structurally. It's a two riff. That yours was three riff. This is two riffs. It's a little mm. shorter. It's two riffs. Um, and one of them is another one of the standout riffs on this. Um. But in the context of a record so minimalist, it's just a four-chord DSBM riff. <laughs> um, but it allows us, I'll play the sample, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the, the way this record is structured. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, uh, we got a comment on this guy's barbaric yawp that he lets out <laughs> several times over the course of this. Just just unhinged shout. Which yeah. It sh- should be all the vocals. Yes, it's really forward in the mix, um, and it distinguishes it. Uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm, we're listening on the YouTube on the Mail de Gloria channel, um, who I should also credit. That's how I found Syndexioi on this guy's channel. Oh, yeah, they're, they're putting out a lot of hits lately. Yeah, and you found Vlado on Metal Archives, but he also posted the Vlado. Um, And, uh, yeah, so shout out to that guy. Um, But uh, um, he comments on the vocal performance being a lot more intense than the original one, than the last record. In some ways, it's still not intense enough, right? Mm -hmm. The moments where he's just mixed way forward in the mix and just yells are awesome. I understand why you can't do that all the time because the music is supposed to be hypnotic, mm-hmm. but you know, and it is supposed to be thoroughly atmospheric. Like you could go to sleep with it to this record, right? 
but to bring some more charisma somehow into the vocals on the earlier on the bulk of the record would be good this track though is where is the only place where he really digs in to vocals this is spirit of triumph title track it's the most aggressive one i think um and here you could hear the vocal performance throughout that whole thing was really cool it was rhythmically punctuated it was authentically um wrathful and you know when he finishes at the end he basically just does a mic drop right he's just like (laughs) um the 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 final heave you know yeah he obviously shakes his fist when he does this you gotta (laughs) um but so structurally because you (laughs) came up with some ideas about how this whole thing is structured that i think you're probably correct about that i totally missed when i first brought this on oh well cool um so this also connects with the syndexia really well because like that it's dealing with uh engaging with the ancient past while sort of uh reckoning with that historical distance and uh and you know this can it can be this posture of like sort of melancholy that's just kind of weak and all too modern for certain bands that do that that have this kind of like you can have an acute consciousness of the distance between past and present in a way that and be obsessed with the past but is this thing that's vanished and we're constantly mourning and blah 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 that can be like really weak right mm-hmm. like syndexioi this band does it in a way that is strong and related to the idea of how do we you know if, if syndexioi is sort of like how do we access or resurrect the spirit of this ancient cult of mithras today right mm-hmm. Um, and it has something to do with this direct contact with the God and the handshake of the brotherhood. This record is about how do we sustain the spirit of ancient days through storytelling? Yeah, I was about to say exactly that, which kind of makes the whole pastoral thing on Thule make sense because it's not the sound of these events happening. It's the sound of telling the story of them happening. Exactly. And, you know, I will say today I was walking around at, you know, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, bright sun, uh, blue sky and clouds in a significant amount of snow listening to this record, listening to Thule. And, you know, it made a lot of sense there. It's like, okay, snow gleaning off, you know, uh, sun gleaming off the icebergs. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about that then. So it starts right. We start with sun rises with blood. And it's more blissful, but it has forecast some of the more martial parts, like Spirit of Triumph. And then we get Thule, and it's like the beginning of an adventure, right? You're at home, right? You know, your Rus Vikings are um, sharpening their swords in their Hyperborean fastness, and, you know, kissing their maidens goodbye, and, you know, maybe gathering some final flowers for the road. Um, and then we get to Seeds of Deeds, right? Which is the longest track on the record. Yeah, that's, that's the journey. You know, that's the preparation. The the journey, the initial skirmishes, the exchange of javelins with guys on the shore. Yeah. Um, There's a really good Amon Amarth song about that, honestly. Um, (laughs) But um, but (laughs) that's another thing. But, um, uh, you know, and and you have to that more intense riff, you know. Right? We get to this one and it's battle, right? Triumphant, glorious battle um, with, you know, exultant shouting and stuff and the clashing of swords as it were um and then five is to those who fell in the last battle um and that is your next sample right 
Yeah. Well, let's uh, we'll just listen to that real quick, and then we'll we'll finish out the sequence. So, and there you go. You know, that's the, the basic the conclusion to those who fell in the last battle. You've got the, you, know, you got the mournful qualities, kind of an echoing of the, the theme in Thule, that sort of big, just two-chord block theme, mm-hmm. along with, you know, plenty of triumphant stuff, because obviously the entire interpretation of falling in battle for these guys is radically different from how we see it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I just love when that fucking gorked Branicald lead comes in at the end. Like, and then it's such a strange choice of interval that, that he switches to after that. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah. And then of course we conclude with the outro outcome. It's a, it is obviously designed to be listened to from front to back. It is one complete story. And I don't know how I missed it, man. You're, I think you're spot on about that. Oh yeah, that that chord progression, uh, the the monolithic returning to the monolithic chord progression thing, but this time instead of like two, it's four, and it's got a half step in there. It's got one of those. We we were talking, we've in in in, you know, we've talked a few times during the samples about how there are all sorts of harsher, sterner, more dissonant intervals hidden in all sorts of parts of this record, right? Mm, yeah, this yeah, one goes lots of weird chromatic things creeping around in the background. Yeah, if you just root note the riff, this one, it's... 
triumphant minor seventh. And then you just sit on it, right? Um, uh, really cool riff. Um, but about that weird gorked Brannacold riff, I almost forgot this. The, uh, the band that I think is really informing the idea of atmosphere here, and in, especially the more sort of, uh, these the sort of like that kind of these more eerily beautiful parts or uh, pastoral sounding parts, it's, um, I think it's Bellas by Burzum. Mm. it's which is a record whose time has yet to come like it was so ahead of it it sort of forecast the turn towards more consonant melody in black metal in the last 10 years um but did it in a way that almost nobody has picked up on and he he makes use of overtones but more than that he makes use of just very simple intensely layered riffs that have this kind of um uh often this kind of exuberant or tender or serene thing while also packing a lot of power in the uh in the root of them secretly so like glemselen's elf particularly uh or kilio heston um or some of the you know the final tracks on that record have this just sheets of guitar there are at least three guitars on bellas um and that kind of little cascading sort of shaft of sun through the forest canopy melody there, like that you said, like is like a weird gorked brand called like that could be on Bellas. 